Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another exciting edition of Monday Motivation. Hi everyone, this is Rabbi Garfinkel of Project 613 in Chicago with a truly exciting edition of Monday Motivation coming up with Purim edition. Yes, Purim is really literally right around the corner starting Monday night, March 6th around the world, extending through Tuesday, March 7th. We're going to talk a lot about that and the Megillah and fast your seatbelts are going to be awesome. First, would like to give some mazel tovs, some very beautiful, beautiful, exciting things happening in the world of Project 613. Rabbi Mordechai and Shana Marcus had the bris of their son, Meir Eitan, Meir, Meir Eitan, this morning. May he be a light, a strong light, as his father said. Meir means light, and Eitan means strong, a strong light for the Jewish people. So special. And... Kyria and Vlad Pfeffer. Kyria is our program coordinator. She had a baby girl, beautiful baby girl, and named her this past Shabbos, Hannah Shandel, after Kyria's mother of blessed memory. Such a tremendous thing that we do as a Jewish people to name our babies, our children, after previous generations. It's really, as people like to say, Lador Vador, to generation, from generation to generation. So, so special. May both of these newborns carry their names with pride and shine a light of Torah and awareness of the Almighty to the world throughout their lives. All right. And we had a special Shabbos. I was invited to be the guest speaker for the Skokie Yeshiva Torah Bowl. This was a fantastic Shabbaton weekend. It was an honor to be there, the 100th year of the Skokie Yeshiva, a very honored institution in the Chicagoland community and beyond. So it's been very busy, and we are gearing up for Purim. So that's the, that's the announcements. Again, if you like the podcast, please do like it and subscribe Share the wealth. We are getting very nice traction. Please spread the word about Monday Motivation. All right, here we go. We have got to talk about Purim. It's so exciting. And I don't know how many people asked my students this past week, what is your notion of Purim? Like, what experiences do you have in your life about Purim? And I got a lot of Sunday school Purim carnivals, right? Those who hadn't been to the Project 613 uh, Purim celebration last year or in previous years. And folks, it's not a Sunday school carnival. I mean, God bless them. I, it's great. No problem with the carnivals. But that's not the beginning, middle, or end of what Purim is about. I asked this week to our students, to our young professionals, how many miracles has God made to save the Jewish people from various types of Hamans and Akashverishes uh, I mean, thousands. It's it, You can't even count it. And so the question is, what was unique? What was unique about the Purim miracle that warranted Mordecai and Esther 
to appeal to the Sanhedrin, the great high court of the time, to get this to be codified, ratified as a holiday for the generations. What message or messages were in the McGill experience, were in this miraculous salvation that were different? Manishtana. <laughs> Why is this miracle different from all other miracles that we were saved and yet there's lessons in here that we need to remember forever okay that's going to be one of the jobs one of the tasks of this podcast to come out at the end of what is particularly unique about this holiday and this miracle that the jews were saved i have to tell you this past week we were downtown chicago i brought the actual text of the megillah and we made a bait midrash we, people were learning it was incredible. Who wants to hear a rabbi yap at them in the middle of the night, right? <laughs> or at uh, dinner time. It was great. We had tremendous learning. It was absolutely fantastic. And then a fantastic discussion. So I encourage all of you to pull out the text of Megillat Esther. But if you can't, okay, we got to rock and roll over here. Okay, so the most salient feature of the Megillah, the most pronounced the most obvious feature of the entire Megillah is that God's name is not mentioned in it. We did mention this last year in the podcast. I did check last year's podcast to see what I said so that I would provide you new content this year. But this point needs to be stated again because this is the major theme of the Megillah is that God's name is not mentioned in the entire book. Now there's a lot, 24 books in the entire Tanakh, the Jewish Bible, you're telling me God's name is not mentioned there? The answer is absolutely yes. Why? Why is God's name not mentioned? Because it's not obvious. We go from Pesach, and this we also did last year, from Pesach, which is the ultimate revelation of God's open miracles, breaking the laws of nature, and we go around the Jewish holiday of the year, we end up at Purim, which is very close to Pesach, it, but it's the it's the eleven thirty hour, and as soon as we get to twelve, we start over again on the clock, and so therefore we go from Pesach, which is all bright, we see God, it's open miracles, it's sea splitting, manna falling in the desert, water from rocks, ten plagues in Egypt, all the way through the cycle of the year, where God starts hiding Himself in natural circumstances and is not readily visible. God sort of hides in the bushes, sort of recedes into the background. But the question is, and this is our test, and this is one of the most fundamental reasons why the story of McGill is forever, is because this is our reality. God is behind the scenes. Do we see Hashem in our lives? I have sat down with professors at Stanford University who are very, very smart individuals, very smart individuals, and who can be a professor of biology in particular, I won't mention his name, I'm sure he's won a Nobel Prize by now, if he already hadn't by the time I was studying under him as a pre-med at Stanford, and he can look at Mitchell's chemiosmotic gradient pumping out 32 ATP and, and not see Hashem, or Krebs citric acid cycle perfectly just each around each of those or or a DNA strand. Look at a DNA strand. Th this is not advanced biology. 
a DNA strand. Look at it. How in the world did that evolve? You, it, it, there's no selective advantage. You have to understand how natural selection works. It says I have something and it, because it's a functioning item, it functions better with this gene combination. But you don't have a natural selection possible until you have an entire genetic code. How did the genetic code get there? You have entire systems in the body that are functioning simultaneously. You have 10 major systems, the skeletal, muscular, nervous, endocrine, cardiovascular, lymphatic, respiratory, digestive, urinary, and re reproductive systems, all functioning right now. They're all functioning if you're alive. They're all functioning. Do we send them instructions? Your body's on autopilot. It's unbelievable. You imagine you get a cut, cut, God forbid, in one's finger. Do you know the cascade effect that happens? How many different steps? Look it up. How fibrogenin and the whole deal over there. How many things have to happen in perfect succession for the most basic healing to happen is mind-boggling. And you can have brilliant scientists look at that and say, yeah, nothing special. It's just sort of poofed together. Are you kidding me? You've got to be the greatest religious person in atheism to look at the facts of the brilliance of our world and not see the fingerprints of Hashem, even more than the fingerprints, the blueprint design. I could go on forever. I really can't. This is basic science. The Big Bang. The Big Bang. By the way, the Big Bang is huge for theology. Up until the Big Bang, I don't know if people realized, before the Big Bang, people thought... The world just existed forever. I had no beginning, like what the Greeks thought. But no, once science has come to the conclusion of a Big Bang, that actually is huge for the theologians. Because it means that in the beginning was, yeah, there was a beginning. And let me ask you a question. When one would throw a bottle on the ground, a Big Bang, does that lead to more order or less order? How in the world did all this order all of science is based on an underlying principle that things make sense. Why should you do chemical reactions in one part of the world and they have the same results in the other parts of the world? There's, there's this underlying assumption that science has that things make sense, that there's an underlying order. Otherwise, science labs across the world, how would they communicate? And that gravity and all the forces work equally throughout the world it is absolutely unbelievable and yet you can have very smart intelligent people who look at all that data and don't believe in Hashem okay that is the main timeless lesson of Megillus Esther God is hiding behind the scenes does it mean he's not there no it means he is there he's absolutely there and that's the reason why we wear costumes because we kind of make fun of ourselves, right? That, who are we? Are we our true selves? Are we hiding from ourselves? Okay, deep idea over there. But the point is that God is hiding, but it does not mean he's not there. It means that we need to look harder to see him. All right. Now, I want to get to specifically who has the wheel. What do I mean? Who has the wheel? Meaning, let's take a look at Haman. Haman is known at the beginning of the Megillah as Mamuchan. Mamuchan means 
one who is prepared. Mamuchan was actually Haman. He had a code name at the beginning of the Megillah. His name was Mamuchan. He was the seventh of the seven advisors to the king. And he jumped ahead of all the other advisors when King Ahasuerus didn't know what to do, when Queen Vashti rebelled against him and did not come and dance in front of him. Now, by the way, Vashti had no problem coming dancing in her birthday suit in front of all the men. She was a vicious, very not nice woman. She is not the feminist heroine. As I learned growing up, she was a vicious woman who was brutal to Jewish women and made them serve her naked on Shabbos, and therefore, Mida connected Mida, measure for measure, she was killed on Shabbos for refusing to dance naked. Okay, now, why did she refuse? She refused because <laughs> he sent his messengers to get her. And she said, no, that's not good enough for me. I need you to come and ask me yourself. Very, very big egomaniac. Okay, now why am I bringing this up? Because after she rebelled against him and didn't come, he wanted to know what to do, and Mamuchan jumped ahead of all the advisors and said, you got to kill her. got to kill her. Sets a terrible precedent. None of the women are going to listen to their husbands. It's going to be awful. Off with her head. And so it was. And so Mamuchan, Haman, right from the beginning of chapter 1, what did he do? He opened the door for a job search. A job search of replacement for Vashti. So he was trying hard, eventually, years later, to destroy the Jews. But who ended up opening, basically shooting himself in the foot? It was Haman. Haman was the one who opened the door to be able for Esther to come in and save the day. Okay, let's see another example of this. So here's the thesis. The thesis is that our human effort is the horsepower, is the energy that drives things forward. But Hashem has the wheel. The Almighty has the his hands on his wheel. Mamuchan means prepared. He was preparing the whole time, trying to put things into motion. And yet what? Every time he put a lot of energy forth, it was twisted around and turned to fall back on him. Let's do another example. Another example was when King Ahasuerus had his dream. And he realized that he had not yet thanked Mordechai for years before for him saving his life. And at that very moment, Haman was coming into the king early in the morning to ask King Ahasuerus to kill Mordechai. And right before Haman could even open his mouth, King Akashverosh asked Haman, Hey, who? Uh, what should we do with uh, someone that uh, I want to honor? And then Haman thinks, Hey, it must be for me. Who else would the king want to honor? And so what does he do? He gives this whole elaborate thing. You got to put him in the king's clothing. You got to put him on a horse. And King Akashverosh said, Fine, do that, Haman. Do that for Mordechai. The exact thing that Haman was trying to get for himself ended up going against him. And the commentators all explained that that was the moment, the v'nahafachu, the, the turning over, the great switch of who was in control. Haman was trying to get himself elevated and Mordechai killed, and it ended up Mordechai was riding on the horse and Haman was pulling the horse through the streets of Shushan. 
Should we do another one? Let's do another example. The horsepower. Humming. He's trying to get his, his effort through. And what does he do? He builds a gallow. 50 almost high. An almost like a foot and a half. It's a big, big gallow. And he has it set up for Mordechai. Uh, you know the end of the story? You know who ends up hanging on those gallows? It was him and eventually his 10 sons as well. Because Haman was all about, I am the master of my own destiny. I am the one who is the ultimate arbiter of how things work out. And I am going to plow ahead and keep putting my pedal to the metal and add more horsepower. And Hashem has his hands on the wheel and just turns it left and turns it right until Haman crashes and burns. Now, why, folks, is this so relevant? This is so relevant because this is our life. This is our life. And I hate to differ a little bit here from what we learn in America. America, we say, at least we used to learn this, that if you work hard, you're guaranteed success. I'm sorry, that's just not true. Now, Torah espouses hard work, no question. And Torah espouses being honest in work. And the Almighty usually does reward the, the hard work and the honesty with success in business. How much success? Okay, not a profit here. But in general, in general, the Almighty takes care of those who work hard. But... The amount of effort that we put in, and I work with a lot of young professionals who are involved in startups, and they always tell me the ones who are the most qualified, the most talented, are oftentimes the ones that don't make it, and the ones that don't really have a great concept in this, and they get the lucky break, and or they have something that no one thought was needed, and all of a sudden IBM needed a something, and they got gobbled up, and they had a sweet exit. Who determines that? We all need to put in our effort. Don't get me wrong. The Torah says that we need to work and we need to put in our human effort. But we need to be humble enough to know that it's Hashem behind the scenes, the Almighty, with His mask on, saying who is ultimately going to find the success and not. Where do we live this every week? We live this with Shabbos. We live this, live this with Shabbos. If we think that we are the ultimate arbiters of our success, then we absolutely should never, ever, ever stop working. The fact that we stop working indicates that we know that the Almighty is in charge. The greatest day to guarantee our success is Shabbos when we don't work because that is inviting God into our lives the other six days when we do work. And we're saying, Hashem, I know you are the one. You are the one that brings results. You want me to work hard and I'm going to put in my long day of work. But I also know I'm going to make time to learn Torah. And I'm going to make time to learn what does it mean to do business in a Jewish way. And to be ethical. And to live up the standards for which you want us to make money. Because there's no cutting corners. Because you are the one who guarantees success. So we can learn a lot from Haman. He was all horsepower. He thought he had the hands on the wheel. He was the one in control. But we know and we see from Haman, and this is one of the eternal lessons of the Megillah to us, the Almighty has the wheel.
All right, everyone. I wish everyone an amazing Purim. Please, I beg you, plug into Purim. It's not just a Sunday school carnival. It starts Monday night. Go somewhere. Hear the Megillah if you need help. I will help you find a place. And then again, hear the Megillah on Tuesday. It's an opportunity and a mitzvah to give tzedakah. I can help you with that as well. In addition, you can go online to Chabad.org or Ish.com or other places where you can give tzedakah and it will be distributed on that day. The other mitzvah is the gift baskets. It's really, you don't have to be elaborate. You can give peanuts and a beer. One of my buddies gave uh, or two types of food to one other person. And of course, the festive meal. This is the best part. Don't miss out. And for all the young professionals listening out there, we're going to be having an amazing Project 613 festive meal Tuesday, March 7th from 5 to 7 p.m. Yes, leave work a half an hour earlier. You got this. Wishing everyone a beautiful Purim. And we'll see you back here next week for another exciting edition of Monday Motivation.